It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. Is that you I see through the haze? <laughs> it is. You can probably hear it in my voice. The haze, the smoke, the allergy season, it is on us and I'm feeling it. I think a lot of folks in the General Assembly felt it this week. Yeah, I saw a tweet that said it had like these boxes and it was like, is it a cold, COVID, allergies? And it said new level unlocked wildfire smoke. (laughs) I heard it in Speaker Moore's voice on Wednesday. We're recording on Thursday afternoon, by the way. Uh, he sounded like he was down with allergies as well. I could hardly, I didn't even recognize his voice. I said, is the speaker in the chair today? And he's like, yeah, he's got, he's not feeling well. Yeah. Anyway, that's all right. We'll push on through. The week is coming to a close. We had a busy week at the General Assembly. Similar to a couple weeks ago on Monday, Governor Cooper had a little announcement And he was announcing a firearm safe storage campaign. And I saw that he's doing an environmental announcement next week. So it seems like he's tackling one topic a week and then traveling around and talking about that. Kind of a continuation of this bully pulpit campaign that he launched a couple weeks back when he talked about our state of emergency, so-called. We're expecting something every week now, and uh, I guess that'll take us all the way through the summer. In the meantime, uh, we had some legislation filed this week, seemed to be along party lines, so does an understatement. On Tuesday, some Senate Democrats filed an elections bill, so the reason they can file a bill now and the reason that the Republicans election bill was able to be filed last week past crossover is a little procedural thing. And that is that election related bills are not subject to crossover. So you could still file one of those. The bill could be called the Trisha Cotham Act. This is legislation that would require anyone who is elected and then switches parties after the election they would have to go before the public for another election campaign. So there would be a special election. And they would have to refund all donations made to that candidate. On Tuesday after the House session, she did speak to reporters about that bill. Representative Cotham said, unfortunately, the Democrats on the other side want to use my story as a narrative that they need to raise money. She called it a political stunt. Most Republicans on social media dismissed the legislation. This is not going to be a bill that moves forward. From there, we went on to some important legislation. The Farm Bill moved this week. So the Farm Bill is an annual bill we see every year starts shorter and then gets longer as it moves through the process. It went through the House this week and then back to the Senate where they concurred with the House version of the bill, which is not usually what happens with the farm bill. Yeah, the bill always starts in the Senate. We heard that from Senator Brent Jackson and Representative Jimmy Dixon, that they like Senator Jackson to go ahead and serve up the first version of the bill The House is in a position they like to respond to it, but uh, had a lot of debate this week. There was a a lot of debate led by Representative Pricey Harrison, Democrat from Guilford County. She is very much an environmentalist legislator, and she had a lot of qualms with the whole wetlands provision. We've heard both sides of the argument from those who are concerned about the wetlands provision and how it relates to the Supreme Court case that just came down. But ultimately, that stayed in the bill. Another provision in the bill is the muscadine grape juice provision. Yeah, so muscadine grape juice is going to be served in our public schools. Is that it? Well, As you'll recall, the Representative Howard bill requires that, but this would just encourage schools to serve muscadine grape juice. But it also designates the official state fruit as the muscadine grape. Right now, it's the scuppernong. Mm. And so they wanted it to be broader. But the big bill, 
the big bill that we've been tracking for weeks now got a final vote in the house this week sports wagering will be legal on january 8th 2024 just in time for the those later games in the nfl playoffs leading up to the super bowl march madness yeah march madness the bill is at the governor's office. We think he is going to sign it. Talked to a couple lobbyists yesterday. They said they're even working on a bill signing ceremony. That would be a bipartisan ceremony, I assume. But a big day for a lot of folks who were working on this bill for years. I'm sure the governor will work in the hurricanes, folks. <laughs> uh, congratulations to everyone who worked on that bill, especially Representative Jason saying he came off the House floor yesterday, he and Majority Leader John Bell, they look like they finally got to exhale. Aside from a couple bills moving this week, it was fairly quiet. And that is because budget negotiations are ongoing. We heard that the subcommittees are pretty much done with their line items. So that's like your education, transportation, general government, health and human services, justice and public safety. They have worked it all out at that level, kicked those budgets up to the big chairs. Those are your senior appropriation chairs that handle all levels of those subcommittees. They are going through making adjustments, throttling up or down, just depending on what they want to do. Eventually, it gets kicked up to the corner offices. While subcommittees are pretty much completed, we hear there is still some tension on some of the big issues that the Senate and the House want to do. When we say big issues, you mean taxes, pay raises, teachers, state employees. Those are the big issues. Talking to some lobbyists yesterday, they said they had heard that the House wanted to kind of slow down some of the tax cuts that the Senate wants to do. There is a fear that we're looking at a recession in the next year or years. They don't want to take money off the table. The Senate is saying, look, tax cuts are a way to kind of stave off a recession. We expect that those will be ongoing talks between the big chairs, and ultimately this goes to the corner offices. Once they hit a stalemate, it comes down to Senator Phil Berger, Speaker Tim Moore, getting into a room, and they work out the differences. We seem to be on track to have a budget by June 30th, but a lot has to be done before then. In what is becoming a weekly segment of Will... Congressman Bishop run for state attorney general, or will he not? This week, we got more news that he will. We heard that Congressman Dan Bishop was spotted at a RAGA meeting. That is the Republican Attorney General's Association. This is a political organization that funds candidates running for attorney general. So RAGA apparently has told Congressman Bishop they would back him for attorney general. Now, I don't know if that means would they back him in a primary, would they back him in a general election? It, that's That remains to be seen. But we do have word that the Club for Growth, which is a super PAC, they really elevated Ted Budd to the U.S. Senate, uh, backed him early, big spending here in North Carolina. But it all ties to Congressman Bishop's opposition to raising the debt ceiling last week. They wanted him to fight to kill that bill. Now, he was not successful in killing the bill. He did vote no. But he was successful in fighting. Yes, he was. I mean, he took on his own leadership. Speaker Kevin McCarthy, he didn't have very many kind words to say about the leadership. And by the way, in that leadership team is Congressman Patrick McHenry, and then there's Congressman Richard Hudson, who's also in the leadership. So the big question is, has Bishop burned bridges in D.C.? It's time to pack up, come home, run for attorney general because there's nothing for him up in D.C.? We don't know. Remains to be seen. But an opportunity for him to announce that he's running is coming this weekend. The Republican convention is in Greensboro. 
there's going to be a lot of superstars there. Former President Donald Trump, former Vice President Mike Pence, Governor Ron DeSantis, and you're going to have Congressman Dan Bishop. Does he get up in front of that crowd and make his announcement? We'll see. I wish that Republican convention was live streamed. I think we'll see some of the speeches, but I hear there's a lot going on at the convention. We talked to a legislator today. He said, you know, not only do we have this chairman's fight between John Kane Jr. and Michael Watley, the incumbent, who, by the way, does nothing but win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, apparently winning is not good enough. Watley's on the hot seat this weekend. Uh, we think he'll survive, but there's also going to be uh, something offered from the floor, which would be a resolution closing the Republican primary to only Republicans. Not a good idea. Yeah, I've heard you telling people that. Yeah. I mean, both parties... It's a game of addition. You got to attract, you know, those unaffiliated folks, moderates. You're in the shallow end of the political gene pool if you are limiting your primaries to just your base. I mean, that's that's just wacky. You don't care because you don't vote in primaries. No, but I heard the point that that senator said today. If both parties did it at the same time, would it force all the folks that are unaffiliated, would it make some of them choose a party? All right, we had some staffing news this week. Andre Beliveau, who's been a guest on the podcast, he used to work for Senator Paul Newton, and then he goes over to the John Locke Foundation. He is leaving the John Locke Foundation. This month, he is joining the National Taxpayers Union Foundation, As a policy and outreach manager, he'll be up in Washington, D.C. We wish Andre the best of luck. Thank you for all that you've done here in North Carolina, both inside the General Assembly and as an advocate for the John Locke Foundation. Congratulations. After he went viral a couple of weeks ago, we got to sit down and talk to Representative Abe Jones about that moment and not just that moment, but the rest of his life. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Representative Abe Jones, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. To start us off, tell us about your district. Where is your district and why do you think your district's special? Well, my district's right here in Raleigh where we sit. Uh, It's downtown. It's uh, the largest African-American precinct in the city, which is a little bit south of where we are right now. It's also Oakwood uh, in Raleigh and Mordecai. And it goes a little bit north, but doesn't get as far. I think it gets just below Ravenscroft School okay. up on False News. So it's a nice district. It has two colleges, Shaw and St. Augustine, two universities. And um, I like it. I grew up in the district pretty much. My dad taught at St. Augustine's College, and we lived on campus and then not too far from campus. So uh, I love my district. It's, it's unique and um, it's the heart of Raleigh, I like to say. So uh, very comfortable with it. Your father taught what? He taught uh, education, taught okay. teachers. And uh, my father, my mother, and my grandfather and grandmother were all teachers. How has it been to see Raleigh grow and evolve over the years? You've been here for a while, and wow. you represent this district. Talk about seeing Raleigh kind of grow up as you've grown up well yeah i'm really proud of raleigh i love raleigh i'm glad i came back and it's it's raleigh is a is a comfortable city to be in i think it's it's diverse um most of the time it comes in and and well in the surveys that they run in u.s news and other magazines Mm -hmm. you see our raleigh durham as they put it area in there and so uh i like i like my city a lot i think you can pretty much find what you want 
Um, my daughter heads up art space, right, building right down the street here, right, okay. um, which is a nice example of of uh, of its diversity and its culture. Uh, we've got, the, of course, the state government and got North Carolina Museum of Art, and just there's a lot here. You know, mm-hmm. great airport, easy to get in and out of. Uh, weather's more or less moderate and temperate. It's a great city, and I have seen it grown developed from the days when um, people used to call me when I first went to the integrated school and threatened me on the phone. Not not a lot, but mm-hmm. there were those calls, ugly mm-hmm. calls, and now it's totally different. Mm-hmm. And um, guys up north, and like I said, some guy, and it, this story went up to Boston Globe and said, what's it like down there? I said, look, it's, it's great, you know, to come on down. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I like I love my home. I uh, I plan to stay right here. You went to Enloe High School. I did. Enloe is a great school for me in East Raleigh. Uh, I actually I started in junior high there at Acock Junior High, and then that got done away with and became the East or uh, Enloe uh, building. You yeah. know, yeah. but it uh, went to Enloe High School. Graduated in 1970. I was in the National Honor Society, and I ran track and cross country. Uh, Enlo actually didn't have a cross country team, so I ran state. Let me run with them, but they couldn't score me. NC oh, really? State. Yeah. You ran with the college kids. I did mm-hmm. while in high school. I, I was a pretty good athlete. <laughs> <laughs> I just come out, <laughs> but <laughs> that's not all I had going for me. That yeah, was yeah. One thing I did at that time, and it was fun. I, I enjoyed. It. I still enjoy occasional jog, and I do a lot of walking now and swimming. Yeah, you, you manage to stay in shape, even though you do eat a pork chop sandwich every day for lunch. That's right, a, a many days. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's kind of country, as they say, but I like, I like uh, a good meat gives you protein. I grew up on uh, St. Oak campus, and I uh, came out of a family of uh, seven children. I was the third. Wow. Oldest brother, older brother, and an older sister. Then it's me, and then there's uh, there were four under me. Always was a hardworking student and liked uh, the non-contact sports. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, after that, I, I left in 1970. I got a scholarship uh, to to go to Harvard College. I was I was really intent on I was going to stay and run with NC State because I've been working out with them since I was in eighth grade. Wow. They gave me a locker and everything. And uh, I don't know if you probably heard of uh, Mike Shea. Yeah. And Julie Shea was an Olympic class athlete. Well, the Shea family, Coach Shea had me over there and I was going to run with them. And then last minute, the the guy from Harvard had come through the interview at Broughton, which was the more well-to-do high school. And, um, but he had time on it to get the plane, and so he came over to the in-law, see, you have anybody who talked to me? And I told the guidance counselor, I talked to anyone who would give me some money. Came in, talked to this guy, and he picked, he pulled an app out of his uh, briefcase and crossed the deadline, which was already out, gone, out and put a new date. He said, send that in. Wow. That's literally how it happened. I had no aspirations of going that far north or that far cold. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But it was, uh, it was a great experience. I got in, and... Uh, and uh, majored in American history, 1789 to the present, and then went, stayed on, went to the law school, and got out in 1977. Let me back up on high school. You graduated in 1970. How long had Raleigh schools been integrated at that point? It was, uh, they weren't fully integrated even then. Right. Uh, it's, it probably started sometime in the 60s. I think a guy named Bill Campbell, who was a first person to go to integrated school and he was the uh, son of a guy named Ralph Campbell who mm-hmm. was the father of both Bill and Ralph Campbell who was state mm-hmm. auditor but I, I think it, it, I was I went during the so-called freedom of choice time okay. so if you're black you could pick to go wherever you wanted to go but the rest of the schools were pretty much uh, one race and uh, I mean unless you chose to go so I went to in low because I chose to go uh, it was in walking distance from St. Aug campus. And you were on the student council at Enloe? I was first uh, African-American uh, officer, yeah, sergeant at arms. Okay. We took care of counting votes for elections, and we took mm-hmm. care of uh, keeping order, and, you know, the, the, the um, Robert's Rules of Order mm-hmm. for the running student government meetings. Yes, sure, it sure was, and uh, I enjoyed it yeah. very much. 
And Love was a friendly place. I mean, people were very nice to me, pretty much. Yeah. Um, and I uh, still have some friends from the Enloe days right now. Do you really? I do. I go to the reunions. And, oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. So did you grow up in a political family? How did you begin getting into politics? I got in, really, my mom was the inspiration for that. My father was a very bright man, but he wasn't that political. He voted and all mm-hmm. that, but my mom was a driving force. She, she liked to read a lot, and she'd read books by John Hope Franklin, a mm-hmm. great black historian uh, from Duke, and he yeah. wasn't at Duke at that time, I don't think, but she inspired me to go into politics, my mother, who's still living. She's 96 years old. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. And she lives in Greensboro. Talk to us about this kid from Raleigh going to Harvard. You mentioned the weather earlier. I've been up in Boston area during harsh winters. That's a whole other world, right? Harvard, the Ivy League, all of that that comes with that. What was that like for you? Well, you know, it it was uh, different. Uh, I was uh, nervous about Mm -hmm. it because, um, you know, having grown up here, uh, I'd heard, uh, I read about Harvard once I talked to the guy in the office and I found it was the oldest school university, oldest private university in the country, yeah. 1636. And incidentally, UNC is the oldest public university, 1710. But anyway, uh, so I got up there and uh, the weather was uh, kind of a shock. Now, years ago, I'd lived in Nova Scotia with my family. My dad taught there. And so I had some experience from the time I was uh, four to the time I was uh, ten in Nova Scotia. In fact, I started school in Nova Scotia, but I'd grown up pretty much in Virginia, North Carolina. So I went up there. It was cold, and I went up on the train. My my dad and mother didn't take me. I had a big trunk and put the trunk on the, in the cargo section <laughs> and me in the suitcase and I came in like Sydney Partier, just with a suitcase <laughs> in my hand. <laughs> and I had to go back and get the trunk on, and, on the cab. But it was, uh, and there were these gates. And I, I got in at night, and it was just eerie. Yeah. You know, and they had gates that they literally locked. Yeah. At least they had them locked this particular night, but you had to, there was a place you could go through. And it was new, and kids from all over the country, all over the world, really. I loved it, though. They treated me really wonderfully. Um, I felt accepted and and appreciated and you could get help with whatever you wanted uh-huh. you know if you asked for it but of course most people when uh were uh, all of them were honor students and uh we didn't want to ask for much help but but uh you could get it if you needed it like a language lab or extra help in learning your foreign language if you needed it if you wanted it but i, I was fortunate i didn't have to draw on that very much and i got through fine and, and um found with it where the running facilities were and went out for the team and made it uh-huh. and ran cross country and uh, track. The Ivy League, they value athletics, but they don't put a lot of money into the, the no, college they, athletes they, at all, right? They don't. Um, in fact, they don't even give athletic scholarships. Right. They, they don't. Um, they, they were good in the sort of non-famous stuff, like they weren't that great in basketball and football and even baseball, but they're good in rowing, you know, we call it crew, right. and running, and ice hockey, which actually is pretty big now, and but but ice hockey and that that kind of thing. So after you after you graduated from law school at mm-hmm. Harvard, did you know you wanted to come back to North Carolina to take the bar? Talk us through that period of your life. Well, yeah, I, I was. Um, I kind of wanted to go west because um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd never been to the west coast. Mm-hmm. And I had a close friend from California. I had a close friend from, from uh, Arkansas. And uh, the one from Arkansas got into Harvard Law School too. And the one from uh, California didn't get in. And he went to Stanford. And, uh, so I had, a, I had an idea I may go to Stanford. And then I decided uh, that Harvard had a great reputation and they're in law, so I should stay. Mm-hmm. And I got a proctorship, so I was able to stay in the undergrad dorms, even though I, and I walked up to the law school. I really enjoyed the time I was, that added three more years, and mm-hmm. I was comfortable where I was, and, and so I decided to stay. After you graduated from mm-hmm. law school, you mm-hmm. came back to North Carolina? Uh, yes. Um, I got a, a, what they call a clerkship, mm-hmm. 
uh, in, uh, with a federal judge in D.C. who is from uh, Alabama, but he actually was a D.C. federal judge, and he told me that I should really go home and try to give back some of what I've been uh, fortunate to gain. And I thought about that thing and decided I'd do it. But I, I, I didn't know if I would stay back, but I, I went back because the judge said, look, try it out. If you don't like it, you can always leave. And uh, here I am. <laughs> Talk us through running and deciding to get involved in politics here. Oh, yeah, yeah. I first started out running for uh, county commissioners. And mm-hmm. I ran uh, in a three-way race on the Democratic side back then. Just a Democratic primary mattered, and I came in um, third. Lost out to a woman named Betty Lou Ward, who mm-hmm. was on the county commission for a long time, and the guy who was mayor of Wake Forest, Jim, I can't think of his last name now. But uh did that, and then um, I moved to a different part of town, and I heard that Bob Heater, who was on the county commission, was going to step down, and he told me, just keep your ear to the ground. And I heard, and the moment I heard it on the radio, I went down and registered to run for county commissioners. That was, I'm trying to remember the years now, 90 to 92 I was on it. I mean, 90 to 94 I was on the board of county commissioners. And that got me started in politics. And then um, and then I ran for a judge in 95. Well, I actually applied to be a judge when someone stepped down. Governor Hunt appointed me to the bench. And I served uh, from 95 to 2012. A superior court judge, and you had to run every eight years. And um, I was fortunate enough to win each year until the last one, 2012. I lost to uh, Brian Collins, mm-hmm. who's on the bench now. But that was actually a blessing in disguise because I probably wouldn't have gone further with the other political career. Because being a judge is really not political. It's you get it through politics, but you don't do it politically. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, you have to separate yourself from all of that and and you know follow the rules and enforce the law and it was a very fulfilling job but not like the job i'm in now uh so i've been at all all the angles i've uh, enforced the law and prosecuted defended and uh now i'm helping make the law so after the superior court stint you opened up your own law practice is that what i, I, I did i did I, I came out and um i went in momentarily with a guy named charles francis yeah, ran for mayor a couple right, of years back. Right. Yeah. He's a good, good fellow, Princeton man, and uh, mm-hmm. well, I went in with mm-hmm. him. And then I decided to go out into the county, frankly, really just to get less expensive rent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. what I still am, but mm-hmm. I, I'm in with Alan Swaim. And sometimes we do cases together, but we basically have independent practices, and I do primarily criminal law. I do employment law mm-hmm. for plaintiffs and uh, and also sort of civil rights law, uh, age, race, gender, handicap, the big four, I call mm-hmm. So it's 2020, and Representative Yvonne Hawley is going to run for lieutenant governor. Yes. You step in to fill her seat. You run for her seat, which is your current district. Yes. What, your decision to, to go into legislative politics, what was that like? I went to high school with Yvonne Lewis Holly yeah. and her family was a quite a prominent family in Raleigh and still is and her dad the teenage frolic on WRAL and all that anyway long short she came to me pretty early said look I'm I'm gonna run for lieutenant governor and they told me I better get someone her words good to replace me and we do it and I didn't say yes right away because I had full intent of kind of working my way on up the uh judicial ladder going court of appeals so forth but i thought about it and thought about it and i said no i'm going to try it Mm -hmm. and so that's how i got into legislative politics into this particular position and ironically she lost that race but i won mine and then i ran again last fall and got for in for another term what would you (laughs) say is your favorite part about being in the legislature you know, uh, other than just, I mean, this may sound kind of uh, wooden or whatever, but I, I like reading through the bills mm-hmm. and trying to figure out what, what the purpose of the bill is. I always ask that question when I see a bill. And then, uh, so I like reading the law, but I also really like the relationships. Mm-hmm. You can really form uh, acquaintanceships, relationships with people on both sides of the aisle, which I did. I, I came in in a freshman class and 
So I knew a lot of um, the, the Republican legislators who came in with me, who I've enjoyed, and I like how I have dinner, I have lunch with them. And of course, I know the people on the Democratic side. So I've enjoyed that and just that process of the caucus and where you go and discuss the bills. And it's a great opportunity. If you think at any given moment, there's only 170 people making law for 10 million. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty heady stuff. And so I enjoy going back through the process, looking at the bills, trying to figure out maybe if it can be improved or which way I want to vote primarily. I'm, I almost feel like I was kind of um, designed for it because I've always followed the news and, and, and events since I was uh, in the eighth grade, 13 mm-hmm. years old. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I comes naturally to me. But this time I can make a little difference. So. Mm-hmm. I've noticed in judiciary committees especially, or we're debating a judicial bill, you're one of three former judges serving in the General Assembly, Representative Marsha Moray, uh, Representative Joe John, and yourself. You have a very unique perspective, especially on those judiciary bills, because you debate as if you're a judge. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yes, yeah, so thank you. Um, Yes, I'm on J1. You know, they have four judiciary committees. I'm on one that Ted Davis heads up. Well, incidentally, I knew before I came to the General Assembly, he was in U.S. Attorney Office same, around the same time. We do come at it a little differently. I think people at least listen. They don't, they don't always, of course, follow what I'm saying, <laughs> but they, or, or at least agree with me. I should say they don't always agree. But it is an advantage, I believe, and, and it brings a different perspective, and I enjoy giving it. And, and I just naturally look at things that way, the both sides of the, of the thing. You know, I, I think that's important. And uh, also you bring a certain amount of values in, and it opens up the discussion. And I love to discuss it. And I'd like the committees almost, almost as much or more being on the floor because in the committees, that's where the real hard work is done, as you know, and... And that's where you can make a little headway. And um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, doing more time. If yeah. I'm fortunate enough to get back in uh, next year. So I don't, I'm not trying to climb anywhere. I'm, I've, I've enjoyed, I've had a good, good um, professional career thus far, and I'm enjoying this phase. Representative Jones, you're known as a Democrat that if you're lobbying a bill, you need to go talk to you. Don't assume that you're voting with your caucus. Uh, I think a lot of this comes from the fact that you do read every bill. And I'm not suggesting you're not loyal to your caucus. You are. But it's it's just known that folks need mm-hmm. to talk to you. Yeah. Yeah, so well, thank you for that. I mean, right now, the, the gambling bill, for example, mm-hmm. I, I don't plan to vote for that. Now, okay. I don't know how it splits out DNR. Uh, I think there's, it's a bipartisan bill that's probably going through. But... I, I, I read a little bit about gambling industry and things it does around the country. And from my perspective, it's not good public policy. That's my perspective. If there were counting heads, they would know to come talk to me and see where are you on this? Because they probably don't know if they hadn't talked to me. Uh, and you could go right down the list. Uh, and that, 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 that issue we were discussing with Mr. McNeely on vouchers. Mm-hmm. I just don't think public money should be used to pay for private education. Everybody who has a child has a right to send them their child to public school. We've got to keep that strong because that's where most people still are going to end up. That's my view. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and, but I don't, you're right, I don't go through and just look at, you know, lick my finger and figure out which way the wind is blowing. I, I try to just make up my mind on my own. And then um, I do listen to the caucus, my Democratic caucus, because I want to be cohesive with them to the best I can and I think most time I am but on certain issues we may have to depart you know and mm-hmm. that's the way it works and I, I think that's the way legislation should be made you should base it on on doing your research uh, looking at where your district feels to, to to great extent but also looking at how you internally your value system and the way uh, what you think is a good good government and so that's how I look at it. So going back to you saying that you really like the news, maybe it was surprising for you a couple weeks ago after there was an incident on the House floor, you were in the national news. Did you wake up and realize, wow, a lot more people know my name now? 
Uh, yes, it's kind of like I got all these calls from uh, media people, mm-hmm. WRAL, um, uh, uh, Roland Martin, uh, mm-hmm. and several others. And so I realized it had gone viral or whatever, it had mm-hmm. gotten out. And I, I tried to be true to what I'd uh, done because that's the way I did feel. I, I thought the guy shouldn't have said what he said, but um, he apologized. I accepted it, so I didn't want to go and backstab him so to speak I, I just put it up to he made an unfortunate comment and it had racial overtones and um and shouldn't have been said that being given i thought it could be a learning experience that you know you could look at something like that and say why would one think that and many people i think may think that they say look at this, some guy went to a fancy school and there was an athlete well they brought him up there to be an athlete and he couldn't really handle the work so wink wink blink blink but that's not the way my life had been, you know. And um, so I just wanted to point out that I was a very good student. I worked hard at it. I was proud of that. And um, and I think the point was made. And and it's um, it was one of those things where there was a silver lining in a gray cloud. And for those of you living under a rock, we're refer- referencing Representative Jeff McNeely asking Representative Jones about his Harvard admission and was it because he was black and an athlete. Representative Jones, you followed up that question. Uh, Representative McNeely had been gaveled down, and you did give a follow-up, talking about you were in the second quartile, I believe. The second was, was they had five groupings. Uh, The top was, the very top was one, and then went two, three, four, five. So when I graduated, I was in group two, Mm -hmm. grade-wise. So I, I was letting them know, yeah, I got in. And I earned my way through and earned my uh, academic uh, GPA and was able to go on to their law school. Where they were very sparing with those positions, too, for Harvard guys because they wanted to get people from all over the country. Mm-hmm. So you had to beat out other Harvard people for a slot there because they they were going to limit that so they could take in people from across the country and across the world. So I was just letting them know what he said was not accurate. And right. I figured I'd just keep it narrow, keep it direct. And that's why I wanted to do it that way. And that, that way kept me from getting really angry about it, mm-hmm. at least ver- uh, visibly and, and right down the floor, which I thought was a way to do it. And a lot of people have complimented me on that sense. And I've appreciated that. I compliment you on it. But there was a part of me, Representative Jones, that just felt a tremendous amount of, I don't know, disappointment, sadness that Maybe you had had to justify justify this to others as a mm-hmm. as a black man older. I felt like you had said it before, and there, I, I did feel a little sadness in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is this is not the first time I'm sure no, you've experienced. I, I've had this. it had a couple. I had, I've had it happen a couple other times, and uh, one time at a party, uh, some young lady said that to me, and some years back, and and. Um, and I, I was just surprised. I said, no, you got it wrong. Uh, which, but what she said was, I, I, you didn't go to Harvard. I didn't. I couldn't get in myself. And I said, no, I went, and here's what happened. And and uh, I didn't take your place. I took the place that was offered to me by them. They they owned all the places, and mm-hmm. so they choose to bring in who they wanted. And they, had a, they, they don't bring in people who won't be successful because they right. want to keep their reputation. So... Right. Um, no, I, I would, but it did hurt. It stung a little bit. You know, it had to sting. You know, you, yeah. uh, someone sort of puts a broadside on your ability. Uh, it, it, it makes you sit up and take notice. And it, uh, I thought it just did a little disservice to all those nights I spent in the library. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. That is right. Uh, yeah. Uh, Representative McNeely has expressed to us how, just how contrite he is, how embarrassed he yeah. used that word. He publicly apologized to you. You publicly accepted that apology on the House floor that very day. We noticed at the Growler a couple weeks ago, you guys were chatting. It seemed yes. like a very friendly conversation. Is it over? Have yeah, we- it's over for me as far as with him is concerned. Yeah. I, I don't, um, I'm not going to rabbit punch him. You know, he'd have been right. back. You know, I, I'm not going to do that. Um, I think. Everyone's made a mistake sure. in their life, and uh, so if you give, if you forgive a man, forgive him, and it's better that way. 
Because mm-hmm. then I move on, don't carry around bitterness and worry about that kind of stuff. Just move on. And so that's how I feel about it. Yeah, good. This is our magic wand question. If you had a magic wand and you could change one thing in our politics today, that could be policy, political, what would it be? I would want to change the fact that uh, in the legislature, you it's, a, it's kind of a club. And I think it will take some movement to change that. The legislature is the most powerful branch of North Carolina government. And I'm not sure right now that it's healthy to get all that power there and take it off, take what they are from the governor. I'm not saying it just because Governor Cooper is a Democrat and I'm a Democrat. I think they probably didn't treat McCrory very well either. Better government would be to have a, more of a balance between the executive and the and the judiciary and the legislature. Representative Abe Jones, we appreciate everything you're doing in North Carolina politics, your service in the North Carolina House. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast this afternoon. Thank you for having me. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. We have enjoyed getting to know Representative Jones since he was first elected to the General Assembly. He is a very fun legislator to watch in committee. We talked about it in the conversation. He asked such great questions. The particular moment with Representative Jeff McNeely, I know a lot of us were cringing when the question came. It was not our best moment at the General Assembly by far. But the aftermath of it, Representative Jones so graciously accepting Representative McNeely's apology. I do think some good has come out of this. It shows just the grace that we can show people when we make mistakes, and we all make mistakes. Uh, Representative Jones, thank you for being on the podcast and just sharing your story with us. Tweet of the week. The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Pork Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org. This week's Tweet of the Week is from Colin Campbell. He's at Raleigh Reporter. And it is from Wednesday on the House floor. And it says, Tim Moore hitting the gavel when legislators get noisy and saying, we are still in session. Reminds me of my fifth grade teacher yelling, school is not out. I want to just say here that Lucille responded and said, Lucille Sherman, as the biggest talker in class, I know shocking. I was always the person at fault when this happened. And I will say to you, that yesterday you were sitting outside of the house chamber and I walked down to Sine Diner to get uh, something out of my bag and I could hear you from there. So I think you might have been the loudest person in your class. Yeah, I was a loud person. I was shocked that they didn't come out and tell you to shut up. So yeah, I, I was kind of loud and I, and I like to be kind of funny. I like to get teachers' oh, attention. <laughs> I, I like it when people laugh at me. <laughs> I wasn't the best student. But yeah, I worked hard. I did do. I was kind of a kind of how I am as a lobbyist, kind of a blue collar guy, you know. I had to ingratiate myself in other ways besides being like you, which I'm sure you made straight A's, didn't have to study. You were at the top of all your, you know, standardized tests. You were just brilliant, right? I think I was described as a pleasure to have. <laughs> pleasure to have. <laughs> Uh, well, so they would write the comments on the report card. Sky is such a treat. She's so smart and charming. And I heard uh, you were one of the students that actually served other kids with paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> telling them that they had hereby been suspended from school. No, or not something. suspended. You know, uh, I worked in the office. You were like a bailiff for the for the teachers. <laughs> yeah. Well, I worked in the office. So I did the announcements, <laughs> okay. and then we called them pink slips, like a detention. And mm-hmm. so, if someone got a detention, they had to turn it into the office, like the teacher would. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, a teacher would write a detention and not tell the kid like I'm giving you a detention. So then you had to go serve them with their detention. So at lunchtime they would have to show up to detention instead of going to recess. Wow. Yeah. That's something. But the kids that were the office workers, those were like, you know, those were all the pleasures to having (laughs) class. Like each hour there was a different kid who like, patrolled the halls and whatever during my hour the local radio station always had a trivia question so me and the secretaries would call in to try to answer the trivia question every day is that right yeah i bet you were just loved by your (laughs) fellow students in the student body yeah i've said it before i'll say it again was not popular (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, that was not me. That was I was elected student government president in the fifth grade. Wow. Mm-hmm. Was that, would you call that the peak of your life? <laughs> Probably was. I think I peaked in the fifth grade. Okay. Uh, from there, it was downhill. I did not enjoy middle school. I really did not like high school. Mm-hmm. People ask me, like, what was your hardest degree you've gotten? And I'm like, my high school diploma. Like, I just limped out of high school. Mm. I I went to a graduation party last week and such a celebration of our neighbor's kid. For me, it was a relief to learn that I was able to graduate in 1989 with my class. Speaking of graduations, I brought this up to you the other day. What is going on in the world where we have to have graduate promotion celebrations for kids in fifth grade to go to middle school? Like, if you're not being promoted as they're saying to middle school like that's a problem it's not something to celebrate that you meet basic competency standards exactly i mean graduating from kindergarten yeah graduating from fifth grade graduate graduating from eighth grade what does graduating from kindergarten even require like you don't pee yourself at school anymore (laughs) I, I, I have the same stance about parents and grandparents like paying their kids to get good grades or bribing them. It's like, no, that should be expected. Well, you told us last week you're you're not against bribing a kid. I'm not against bribing a kid, but not for grades. Like you should it's an expectation that you go to school and you that's your job that's until your job. you're an adult. Mm-hmm. It's your job to go to school. And that's the way Philip put it down. <laughs> yeah i don't i don't get that soft it is yeah soft back when i graduated from high school i don't even really remember no me none of my friends we even we didn't even have a party for that oh really i didn't immediately go to college and it was like i'll just go get a job now my mom gave me a little speech before going to college Mm -hmm. and she said you know, in college, you're actually going to have to study. You can't just smile and get an A. Because that's how you did it. Yeah, I just smiled. <laughs> got an A. I'm here. I'm Sky David. <laughs> no. But so I was so convinced that and she like made me feel like I was going to fail. Mm-hmm. So it was like my, you know, passion to make sure I got A's. I went to college. I, I did buckle down. That's where I just focused on nothing but studying because it scared me like that year between high school and college I was like oh man what am I gonna do I was like flipping burgers at Hardee's I was putting mm, roofs. I love a Hardee's biscuit mm-hmm, it was good I worked for a roofing company you ever done roofing you've never done roofing roofing uh, don't uh, act like you know what I have and haven't done have you done metal roofing no okay <laughs> I'm sorry for prejudging you here, but you don't look like any of the workers I was working with on the roof. The uh, Yeah, so you meant nothing like being out on a hot tin roof in July. My goodness, I was like, I'm, if I go to college, I'm going to be such a good student. But 
It's weird that you were a roofer and now you can't fix anything for yourself. I was a terrible roofer. Yeah, I'm guessing that. I was just a grunt. I just hauled stuff up on the roof, took it down. I was there to hand you some tool that I had no idea what it was. Yeah, you can't even figure out Wi-Fi, so. <laughs> That's true. I was, uh, I was not made for that and went to school. That's that's what we do. People who actually can't build things, we go to college. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. I don't know if we would have hung out in high school. I don't know if if you and I would have would have done that. I don't know. I was in with a lot of different people. <laughs> <laughs> Not the people that you think I might be in with. <laughs> I did date a girl in high school, and she was like top of her class. She was really smart. I don't know why she's hanging out with me, but, you know, we dated. Congrats. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure her parents were just overjoyed. <laughs> Big ups to you for getting a girl. <laughs> <laughs> Kid. I mean, it was 1989. Like, I had this mullet. Oh, it was terrible. Mm-hmm. Little dumb mustache. Ooh, I can't imagine that. Yeah. We had a smoking section. I'd yeah. smoke cigarettes. Yeah, I like to party. But then I went to went to college and, and just all that worked itself out. I did not like to party, but one time I, it was like a Saturday morning, I told my parents, I was like, this party out in Sumner, which is like 10 miles away out in the cornfields, got busted last night and I was there. And mom was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I was there. The cops came and she was like, were you there? Did someone call to have you pick them up? And I was like, yeah. Someone called me. They were hiding in the cornfield when the cops came and I picked them up. She knew. She was just like, yeah, you are you were not at the party, Sky." But you kind of wanted to be. <laughs> That's good. Summer is here. Next week, we won't have as much haze. There will be some budget progress, we think. And Senator Berger said that they're going to be moving the elections bills. So a lot to catch you up on next week. Until then, get some rest. Maybe go outside when the air's a little nicer. And please remember to do politics better.